بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا ما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا امين يا رب العالمين respected elders and brothers mothers and sisters dear listeners dear students Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immensely for blessing us on this uh, bitterly cold evening to be blessed to be in a gathering of, of dhikr, of, of tafsir, of learning and teaching, of spirituality in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we ask Allah azza wa jal that through the presence, our presence here, that He save us from the zamharir of Jahannam, which is. The punishment of cold in the hellfire. All right, there's a punishment of heat and fa- as well as a punishment of cold. Both, as mentioned in the Quran, Zamharira. So, on this is the day, on nights like these, this is where we seek refuge in Allah Azza wa Jal. We're reminded to seek refuge in Allah Azza wa Jal from the Zamharira of Jahannam, which is the, uh, the punishment of cold. And um, just like Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, given us comfortable warm homes and warm cars and warm masjids and warm clothing whereby although we do know it's cold but mashallah we don't have to alhamdulillah suffer the uh, of staying outside Allah forbid or for hours on end and, and homeless brothers and sisters out there and people who don't have the means or whose electricity has been shut off who don't have heat what type of difficulty they must be going not only in this country but of course across the globe uh, there's so much suffering and pain uh, that that is going through, uh, you know, the articles are, are highlighting right now the plight of uh, of the innocent children of Afghanistan in this winter, and uh, the plight of hundreds of thousands of starving kids. I can't even read the article just just by looking at the the you know the title is is it brings down a sh- you know a shivers. A person doesn't have the himma to scroll down and read the article. But th- this is a very bitter cold winter for everyone in those regions as well. So. Uh, just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, without us, without us being worthy of, 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 of anything, is saving us from the, the uh, uh, punishment of cold in this world by keeping us in warm places. We beg Allah azza wa that without any istihqaq and without us being worth it, may He save us from the horrors of hellfire. May He save us from the horrors of the Day of Judgment, even though we don't deserve to be saved. But just like we don't deserve to be saved today, He's given it to us, the safety, so in, in just like He's shown His kindness to us today, we say, Allah, please kindly show us Your kindness on the Day of Judgment as well as in the hereafter. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillah, you have, we've had two great sessions with Mulana Ahsan and we covered uh, the, the, uh, the section of yesterday or the last week rather, uh, the very detailed description of paradise and hellfire. And uh, what Allah Azza mentions, Rasulullah Sallam encourages Rasulullah Sallam to sit with those people, to sit with those people who remember Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Uh, uh, and if Rasulullah Sallam is being asked to sit with them, then it is such an amazing reminder for you and I the importance for us to be seeking out good gatherings, gatherings of knowledge, gatherings of dhikr, gatherings in the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Without this is our lifeline. Without this we can't survive in this difficult, challenging world. What do we need? We need on a regular basis, weekly basis, if possible, multi, many, more than once, multiple times a week, 
gatherings of knowledge and dhikr where ourselves, our wives, our children can attend and where we can gain the warmth of Iman, the warmth of the Qur'an, the warmth of the nur of Iman, which will inshallah allow us to stay hopefully on the right track. So the way he brought us today here, we beg Allah that he allows us to continue to attend such gatherings with istiqama, with steadfastness on a regular basis. Amin ya rabbal alameen. We are going to be starting inshallah today, the second session section of Surah Al-Kahf from amongst the four powerful stories uh, that are the foundations of this surah. We will begin inshallah today the second story of the four. And as was, as was mentioned in the text messages and the WhatsApp messages, inshallah, that today we'll have before... Um, uh, the uh, before the before we end, um, we will we will inshallah tabarak wa taala have a short uh, re, you know reflections on our journey of the Haramain al Sharifain, uh, the blessed cities that we were uh, blessed to uh, embark on that journey and came back this past weekend. So inshallah, a few thoughts and reflections on that we'll share at the end. But we first got to get the lesson done, you know, stories can carry on, so we're going to do the lesson first. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وضرب لهم مثل رجلين جعلنا لأحدهما جنتين من أعناب وحففناهما بنخل وجعلنا بينهما زرعا كلتا الجنتين آتت أكولها ولم تظلم منه شيئا وفجرنا خلالهما نهرا وكان له ثمر فقال لصاحبه وهو يحاوره أنا أكثر منك مالا أنا أكثر منك مالا وأعز نفرا ودخل جنته وهو ظالم لنفسه قال ما أظن أن تبيد هذه أبدا وما أظن الساعة قائمة ولئن رددت إلى ربي لأجدن خيرا لأجدن خيرا منها منقلبا قال له صاحبه وهو يحاوره أكفرت بالذي خلقك أكفرت بالذي خلقك من تراب ثم من نطفة ثم سواك رجلا لكنه والله ربي ولا أشرك بربي أحدا. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the example. He says, so set forth for them the parable of the two men. We made for one of them two gardens of grapevines, encircling each one of them with date palms and placing between the two of them planted fields. Each of the two gardens brought forth its plenteous fruitage and did not diminish thereof at all. Further, we caused a river to, bust, to burst forth all through them. Thus there, were, there was for him plentiful fruitage. So he said to his friend in his company one day, while he was conversing with him, I am greater than you in wealth and mightier in kinsmen. Thus he entered his garden while doing wrong to his own soul. He said, I do not think that this flourishing garden will ever perish. Nor do I think that the hour of doom will ever come. And if I am to be returned to my Lord, most surely I shall find far better than this as my destiny. His friend said to him, while he was conversing with him, Have you disbelieved in the one who has created you from dust? Then from a sperm drop, then formed you as a man. 
Yet indeed, He is God, He is Allah, my Lord, and never will I associate anyone as a God with my Lord. وَلَوْلَا إِذْ دَخَلْتَ جَنَّتَكَ قُلْتَ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ لَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ إِنْ تَرَنِي أَنَا أَقَلَّ مِنْكَ مَالًا وَوَلَدًا Now if only when you have entered your garden, you would have said, Such has Allah willed. There is no power except with Allah. If you see that I myself am given less than you in wealth and children. فَعَسَى رَبِّي أَنْ يُؤْتِيَنِي خَيْرًا مِّنْ جَنَّتِكَ وَيُرْسِلَ عَلَيْهَا حُسْبَانًا مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ فَتُصْبِحَ صَعِيدًا زَلَقًا Yet perhaps my Lord will give me better than your garden and send upon this one a fire bolt from the heaven so that it shall become no more than a slippery leveled plain. أو يصبح ماؤها غورا فلن تستطيع له طلبا Or perhaps its water may suddenly become deeply sunken into the ground such that you will never again be able to seek it out. وأحيط بثمره فأصبح يقلب كفيه على ما أنفق فيها وهي خاوية على عروشها and so it was that his fruitage was utterly engulfed by a firebolt. Thus he began to wring his hands over what he had spent therein. For it was toppled, desolate upon its treasuries. Thus repeatedly he kept saying, Oh, alas for me, would that I had never associated anyone with my Lord. وَلَمْ تَكُنْ لَهُ يَنْصُرُونَهُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَمَا كَانَ مُنْتَصِرًا Nor did he have any fellowship to help him against Allah, nor was he even able to help himself. هُنَالِكَ الْوَلَايَةُ لِلَّهِ الْحَقُّ هُوَ خَيْرٌ وَخَيْرٌ Then and there it became clear that all authority is for Allah alone. And the sole truth, it is he who is best in bestowing reward and best in ensuring a blissful outcome. So this is one ruku' in which this entire journey and story is shared. And inshallah, we hope Allah Azza wa opens up our minds and our hearts to understand these verses. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like we do at the beginning of each lesson that may He allow the speaker to say that which is most relevant to all those who are in attendance. And may He allow us to be able to receive the answers for the questions that we have. May He allow us to find the solutions to the difficulties and the problems any one of us may be going through in our life. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. So the story of the people of the cave, although it is a, a, a story filled with amazing answers to the problems of today, and advice for the future, and reflect many things to reflect upon that we spent weeks on. But it's still very nadirul wuqur. It rarely happens. It rarely happens that you have a group of people live for 350, 309 years, wake up and then you know sleep, wake up and eat, and then go back to sleep and then pass away. You know, this is a very rare occurrence. But this story, the next one that we're covering. It is different from the previous story in the fact that it happens on a regular basis every day around us. And all of us, I think so, probably have experienced this story in our own life. We are either one of these two individuals 
hopefully one over the other. And uh, if not that, then we have definitely experienced in our family and friends, in our contacts, people who follow the footsteps of one of these two individuals. So I, I, I think that this story is extremely relevant to all of us in whatever part of our life, for the little ones who are listening, to the adults who are listening, to the you know, grandfathers who are listening, there is so much relevance in this story. And so just simply ask Allah, Ya Allah, I'm listening to this story, probably the 10th time, of course, or 100th time, but Ya Allah, allow me to really get the answers I need. Allow me to hear the message that I need to. SubhanAllah, here at this moment in my life. Because this is not a new story for all of you. You and I have heard this so many times. But inshallah, when we, re- we, we revisit it tonight, we hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows it to become a really motivation for us to make the right decisions at whatever crossroads that we may find ourselves in. So here you have a parable. The Quran speaks a lot about parables because through parables, things make, begin to make sense. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we look, there's tens of places where wadrib lahum mathala has come in. Give this example, this parable. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah doesn't shy away from giving examples, even if it's an example of a mosquito. For example, he says that they, these disbelievers, the, the false idols, if they put together, if they come together, they are not able to create anything. And if a fly were to steal some of its food, they are not able to wring away their food or bring back their food from the fly that has stolen the food. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the example of a, a slave that is dedicated to one owner versus one who is dedicated to many owners. Meaning, one who is dedicated to Allah and one who's got his loyalties all over the place. So, the, so from amongst those many examples is this parable. And the way the Qur'an uses wadrib. What does daraba mean? To hit, right? So when you hit someone, you jolt them awake. Someone's sleeping, you wake them up with a you know, water gun or, 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 or a staff or a stick. And they wake up, they get startled. So the Qur'an gives us these parables to startle us, to wake us up from our slumber, to wake us up from the sleep of heedlessness and ghafla. My beloved brothers, this is the biggest disease anyone can suffer, and the biggest, biggest sickness, and you know, the, 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 the biggest state, a horrible state that is worthy of pity, is a state of ghafla, heedlessness, that a person is being completely misled, far away from the deen, missing out on jama'ah and jum'ah and the masjid, but doesn't feel empty inside. He doesn't realize that he's really running on an empty tank of gas. He's got nothing. What happens if you don't realize, if you don't look down on that meter, or you don't look at that, uh, you know, the, 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 the gas, um, uh, what you call, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, line where it tells you, you know, how close you are to the finish line, and you don't look at it. Ghafla. What happens? Sometimes it happens. We're driving, you're talking, you're just enjoying the drive. You're not seeing that we've got five miles left, you know, two miles left, one mile left, zero. And now you're running, running on just the extra surplus that's there. And subhanAllah, maybe you've been in an experience like that where your car stops. It's done. And now if you stop in a place far away from the nearest gas station, you're going to go through a lot of difficulty, especially on a cold night like this. What caused you to do that? What was it? What's the answer? Heedlessness, ghafla. You passed by the gas station, the exit 10 minutes ago. You could have easily filled it up, but you weren't looking. So you didn't fill up the gas at the right moment. Now you're, when, you're, when you are empty, you've got no gas stations around you, you're in big trouble. So there are many who are running very low on spirituality. 
but they're not looking at the gauge of spirituality in their life. And although they are around gas stations, they are around masjids, gatherings of knowledge and dhikr, gathering, uh, around shuyukh, they can benefit from their own parents. But they do not think about the fact that they are running low. And when it hits rock bottom, they may have seen that their parents have passed on now. That they are no longer in connection with any shuyukh. That the area they're living in has got no active masjid. Now what are you going to do? You've hit rock bottom and you've got nowhere else to gain the energy. So before that time comes upon us, all of us should make a habit of constantly looking at the spirituality gauge in our, in, in our, in our lives. To see where do I stand? What is, what is my relationship with Allah? How much time did I spend today remembering Allah? How much time did I send, spend today holding on to the mushaf? It's a, it's a question I'm asking myself. You ask yourself. How much time today did I spend in performing two extra nafil salah? How much time did I spend today after any far salah or any other time to make dua, to ask Allah for my needs? If I haven't asked Allah for my needs, most definitely this is a sign of what? Ghafla, heedlessness. So darb, stick, waking up with a stick hitting is supposed to wake you and I up from the state of heedlessness. That's why this word wadrib comes in the Quran. That you strike it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, strike for them an example, a parable of two men. Who are these two men? Their names mentioned in the books. Whether they actually existed or not, Allahu alam, but very likely that they did exist. It doesn't, there's no reason for us to believe that they didn't exist. Um, two individuals, two friends. And some say that they were, uh, you know, brothers or very close friends. Father had passed away, left behind them with 8,000 coins. One of them decided to purchase a beautiful home and a beautiful garden and many other things with that money, and enjoyed his life. The other one said, I would rather use this extra money that I've received from my father, I'd rather use it to purchase a beautiful retirement home in the akhirah, that, will, that, will I, can, that I can retire in forever, not short-lived, but forever. So he spent that money over there. Reality is you, can eat, you cannot eat the cake and have the cake both at the same time. You gotta do one over the other. So he made the decision of having the cake later on. And he sent it forth. Okay, so now what happens? They meet one another and they start having this conversation. And they start comparing. One starts comparing his material wealth to the other. This happens every day. You graduate from high school 20 years ago. Now you meet up with your high school classmate. You graduated from high school five years ago. You meet up with your high school classmate. What happens? Where has life taken you? What are you dri driving? What are you earning? What type of home do you live in? Right? What's your, what, what, where are you investing your extra cash? Huh? These conversations happen all the time. To what extent? Every single gathering for a certain class of people, every wedding, every walima, every aqiqah, every gathering in the masjid, it's all about money. That's all you speak about. Is that where, where is the latest investment in Karachi? The latest investment in East Africa? The latest investment in, in Asia? The latest investment here and there in stocks and Bitcoin and every nonstop? It's all about that. It's a rat race of continuous discussion, comparison of who's got what, who's driving what, who's gotten what zip code. Nonstop musabaka, nonstop race over this. So they're having this conversation. This is what this beautiful ruku is about a conversation between two friends. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ja'alna, we made for one of them two gardens of grapevines. What is the very important point here? Ja'alna, we made it. He didn't get it, we gave it to him. If only he could recognize this. That these two gardens, it's not just, just gardens. It's, guard, it's vineyards, 
Then around the vineyards, there's huge plantations of date palm trees. And it's, that's not sufficient. Then between that, there's also planted fields. Then that's not, as though that's not sufficient, there's uh, rivers and streams flowing right through. So there's no reason to depend upon an external source of water. All the irrigation, all that's taking place, subhanAllah, naturally, without any added cost, everything's been taken care of. So he's got multiple ways of investment returns. If one year the vineyards didn't give you as much, you've got the date palms. If one year that doesn't do too well, you've got the cultivated fields. Right? And you're not, you're not dependent upon any external force of water. You've got your own irrigation method. Very self-sufficient. Vertical integration. MashaAllah. You don't need to... The, 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 the ups and downs of the market apparently don't affect us. Because we've got it all covered. You know, from A to Z. We're taking care of everything. We're not worried about what's happening in the markets. Because we are very well cushioned. He was very well cushioned. Right? So the economics of one place, if, if something goes down, apparently would not affect him. Because he's, he has diversified his investments. He has put all his eggs in one basket. Right? And so he seems to be all set. Well, he just doesn't understand Ja'alna. We created for him. That part, unfortunately, it misses him. Kiltal Each of these two gardens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, brings forth its plentiful fruitage. That meaning... Uh, it's not like sometimes you have an investment that doesn't give you a return. Allah Azza wa is saying that these two gardens were continuously bringing a return. I want you to apply, because all of us may not have gardens, but we have definitely sources of income. You may have double source of income. You may have triple source of income. So apply this to that, right? That's what the Qur'an is. The Qur'an is about application in your daily life right now. So you may have two jobs, you may have two investments, you may have two rental properties, you may have something like that. So apply this verse to, to, to our own life. That when was the last time your rent didn't come through? When was the last time that your business said, no, khalas, that's it. You know, I'm not going to give you, I'm going to give you zero profit this month. Right? When was it last time that you worked your 12-hour shift and you said, the, the business owner said, nope. Or the employer said, nope, you're going to walk home empty-handed without a single penny. Lam tadlim minhu shay'ah. Alhamdulillah, we, didn't, we, weren't, we weren't suffering any oppression. We're getting our continuous income, be it more or less. But where we're working, we're getting it. That's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing for us. Allah is making it easy for us. Allah says, Lam The earth did not oppress you. The earth did not oppress the owner of the garden that one year says, No, I don't want to give you any fruits. The Quran says, The earth was very generous to this owner. All of us are dependent, my beloved friends. We might not own gardens, we may not think we're dependent on the earth, but we're definitely dependent on nature. If, the, if there is good crops, then you'll have good, if you have good oranges and a, good, a long you know, summer, then mashallah, your oranges will come out nice and it'll be cheap. I mean, subhanAllah, it's crazy how one price of one thing affects everything else. When gas goes up, you know, every, your cup of tea becomes more expensive. Now your chai, the mashallah that's being served here, huh, becomes more expensive. Milk goes up, everything goes up. So we are dependent solely on nature. And we don't understand that. Many times a person feels is arrogant. And we're going to talk about this today. That subhanAllah, the shirk that happens today is a different type of shirk. But it's a shirk where a person really thinks that he's completely in charge. And completely, completely has full power over everything. There's no sense of 
need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, these two gardens were not oppressive. They gave him full fruit on time. And we caused a river to burst forth through all of them. So they were not dependent upon external sources of water. He had a lot of fruitage. Thamar is fruit and also you can say fruits of labor. So all of us have, mashallah, are enjoying the fruits of our own labor. They're enjoying the fruits of the labor of our parents. Our parents are enjoying the fruits of their labor. They came here with very little resources. And subhanAllah, they, they made effort for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And now they have fruits of labor that they enjoy and their children enjoy, their grandchildren enjoy. So he was sitting there enjoying the fruits of his labor. So his friend told him, the, the wealthy friend is telling the friend who had given away his wealth in charity. And he is now rubbing it in that he's more wealthier than him. He says, An min kamala. I am greater than you in wealth and mightier in kinsmen. Yeah, yeah, this is the problem. Right? How many times this conversation you and I have had to hear? I hope we weren't the ones saying it. I hope we just had to witness it. But people rubbing it in. That I'm wealthier than you. That I am more powerful than you. I'm more well connected than you. And so that makes me more intrinsically superior, better. Right? When it comes to the issues of marriage and discussion between spouses and between uh, you know, in-laws and between business partners, how much of the a- aspect of money, 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 money is emphasized? There's, there, we, we can say, we can give bayan, I can give a bayan all day. It's still, it's not going to take away from the reality that we size people up based on how much they have. The, 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 the qadr, the value of people is based on the dollar bills they have. This is the sad reality. It's the, it is the, the famous uh, you know, fable of a man who goes to uh, a, a man who goes to a wedding. He was a very, he was a very uh, uh, wise person. He goes there and he wore, he, did, he was a wealthier person, but he decided to wear, wear very simple clothing and disguise himself. And when he goes to this wedding, he gets shooed away. And the, the, the guards at the wedding said, no, this is a very royal wedding. You're not invited. Who are you? Go from here. No, I'm so and so. He said, no, we don't know you. Look at you, how you're dressed here. Very simple. We go from here. He goes away and he leaves. And then after a while, he comes up with his princely gown and you know, whatever else he was supposed, expected to be wearing at this wedding. And, and he makes himself very well known and goes in with his pomp and fame and name and goes into this wedding. Of course, they were waiting to receive him. When they received him, they, they brought him in right in front to sit down to eat. And the, all the food that was brought... He started taking all these loads of food, the plates and the fruits, uh, plates filled with fruit and dessert and appetizers. He started taking that and started filling it up in his pocket. Started filling up in his pocket, putting in one pocket, then the other, the internal pocket, the external pocket. And all those around him were like, what are you doing? Right? Shocked that he, this, this, this nobleman has probably lost his mind. What's going on? He said, no, I have not lost in my mind. I have absolutely not lost my mind. Then why are you doing this? He said, because I am feeding the one who is meant to be fed, the one who is invited. The robe, princely robe is what you care about. The suit is what you care about, not about me. So since you wanted to feed the suit, I'll feed the suit. Because you don't care about me. Because when I just came with simple clothing, I was shooed away. Because you don't value people. You don't value individuals. What you value is the money that they have. So if as long as I come with simple clothing in a simple car, then I'm not going to be appreciated. Then okay. Then that means I'm not the one that's being respected or invited. It is my material uh, things that I have. My clothing, my suit, my tuxedo. That's what's being respected. I said this is a story, subhanAllah, of reality of today. That people's, uh, 
they size one another up based on this. And hence, you, the hadith makes so much sense today now when he says, Allah does not look at your physical appearance. Allah does not look at your wealth. Because that's what we do. We look at physical appearances. We judge people based on how the skin color. We judge people based on their beauty and their charisma. That's how people are judged by. SubhanAllah, everyone. Right? If, if a person is judged based on these things and wealth, Instead, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at the condition of your hearts and this quality of your deeds. That's what we're not looking at because we can't see obviously the condition of the heart. And deeds, we're not worried about that. What happens? As long as the man is handsome, he must be knowing what he's talking about. Charisma, charisma, beauty, the way people dress today, subhanAllah, that's what knowledge is taken from. Knowledge is taken from very handsome people. Knowledge is taken from very beautiful people, very attractive people, very charismatic people. Because... In the mind, that's what it is. That if a person is handsome, he must be honest, he must be very knowledgeable. And that's it. It's weird, but if you look deep down, this is what I'm speaking about, is the truth. It's a very strong attachment between the people who we look up to, the we, who we connect with, and with physical beauty. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that this person is, is, is having the same conversation that, you, that happens today. That I am wealthier than you, number one. Number two, I have a bigger, uh, I have a bigger sphere of influence. I have a larger group of social media contacts, larger group of followers, right? I have a bigger clout. My Saturday night party at my home can attract ten times more than you can pull, right? If I have, if there's a masjid event and I have a get together, I can still get more people at my home than the masjid event. There are people like that, literally. So what happens? MashaAllah, that's great that you have that, power, that, that connections in the community. Why don't you use that for the deen? Right? Why don't you use that for the deen? Use your influence in the community for the deen, not the other way around. So he was boasting to his friend. Allah says, jannatahu." Now he said, let's go for a tour. You know, people love to give tours of what they own. Right? They want to show off and flaunt what they have. Whether it's their home, whether it's their uh, business, etc. Their garden. So he says, let me come and flaunt to you. So this is something to understand. Alhamdulillah, if Allah has blessed us with something that others don't have, there's no reason for us to show off. There's no reason. Ajib, what we don't understand, I think we become blinded. We're very happy to show what we own. But understand that you're breaking someone else's heart. Because he doesn't have even a tenth to be able to purchase what you and I may have. By us showing him that, my beloved friends, all you're doing is you're hurting his feelings. Right? You're making him sad. You're making him sad. There's people who cannot buy new clothes for Eid. There's, pe- there's th- millions of people who cannot afford that. Now a person bears it and he says, look what I bought. Look at the outfit I bought all my kids and my spouse. Here, look at this one. This one for $200. This is for $100. And that person is wearing something that for the past two months, he doesn't have been able to get a new pair of clothing. Just think about that. How you've ruined his Eid. He wants to go enjoy the Eid, but now when he sees this, it hurts his feelings. That subhanAllah, I wish I could have that. I wish I had parents who could buy me that. I wish I had money to do that. So whenever we are blessed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with whatever material things, it is not, it is not proper for us to show, that, show off that to others who have less than us. Because it will unfortunately, without us even realizing, make them not appreciate what they have and make them possibly desire what we have, thereby ruining their day and creating sadness within their heart. So the, uh, the aspect of show and tell is we need to look at it once again. Is it really everything that we have, do we need to show and tell? Or are there things that we can just kind of keep it to ourselves? If there is something that we have, and someone has more than that, no problem. 
But be careful about showing this with two people who have less than that, subhanAllah. Um, it's just something we need to be cognizant of people's feelings. And we should not be living in our own ivory tower to think that, oh, everyone has this, so I'm gonna let me go show off what I have. So he goes in with his friend and he's showing off his garden. Allah says, وَهُوَ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِي While doing wrong to his own soul. He is actually a big oppressor. Why is he an oppressor, my beloved friends? Because when we are in ghafla and heedlessness, we're harming none other than ourselves. When we don't pray, we harm none other than ourselves. When we don't pay our zakah, we harm none but besides ourselves. When we don't do dhikr of Allah, we don't harm anyone besides ourselves. So masiyah, disobedience of Allah, equals what? Oppression upon ourselves. So he was oppressing himself. And then he said, I don't think all of any of this stuff, tabida, will ever perish. I do not think any of this stuff uh, will perish. So what do we see here? A materialistic mindset. That's what this is all this stuff here is about. A materialistic mindset. What is a materialistic mindset? Is that everything I have is because of my own power, strength, knowledge, contacts. Hence, I'm going to rub it in. We don't realize, my beloved brothers, how many of us sitting here, listening here, no one, subhanAllah, how many of us may be suffering this disease? We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Our words speak immense volumes of what the condition of our heart is. Many times, we slip, you know, Freudian slip. We see stuff. And if you think about what you just said, man, it's very arrogant. It's very Faraoni, Qaruni. It is very materialistic. Where we are attributing our success to ourselves. Attributing our success to our top class, top tier education. To our top level university that we attended. Our scholarship. Our hard you know, earned grades in high school and college. That's all materialistic mindset. Do not attribute. Someone was just telling me yesterday that there was a study done on some of the wealthiest people in the world. And they were studying to see what factors led them to be as wealthy as they are today. The study was done. And what the study concluded is that every single one of them had one turning point in their life or one aspect of their life which made them go beyond, above and beyond the rest of their counterparts. It made them wealthier tens of times, tenfold more than their counterparts. But all of them have that one factor, one aspect that we cannot point our finger on. We cannot put our finger on, we can't point towards it. They just called it the luck factor. Subhanallah. Right? All of them have this. They all got the luck factor. When, because it doesn't make sense. Because there is so many of them, a hundred of them, 99 of them had the same trajectory, 99 of them had the same education, the same type of upbringing, same type of you know, nurture. But what made this guy stand up from the rest and become one out of a hundred that he has tenfold more wealth than the rest? That's a very interesting study. But that's what the study concluded with by saying that there is nothing besides luck. What is that luck? That's called taqdeer. That's called predestiny. That's called the will of Allah. Right? That's all you gotta say. Just acknowledge it. And, but the materialistic mindset, unfortunately, cannot acknowledge that. Doesn't see. Is blinded by their love for wealth that he cannot attribute something towards the unseen forces of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So now since this person builds up his entire empire, attributes the empire towards himself, he thinks that I'm God. Godlike. I've got godlike features. I, I did it myself. Yeah, this is what we hear in America. This is the this is the country of dreams. You do it yourself. Right? All, everyone talks about this. Just amazing success story. Amazing success story. Look how he, he achieved this. You talk about all the college dropouts who become milli- billionaires in Silicon Valley. So, bhai, let's all do that. All you college students sitting here, why don't you just please, you know, just send a letter to your, uh, what you call, admissions officer. I'm taking, I'm taking college off, halas. And then, then go figure out what you can do at home. And just say, tell your mom, dad, no, we heard this, all the Silicon Valley guys became billionaires like this. So we're just going to sit at home. And we'll just wait till the billion comes in the mail. Why doesn't that happen? When we, when we hear, uh, uh, subhanAllah, people... You know who are who are washing dishes as in, in, as waiters in this country, and now are multi-billionaires. How did they, so? Why don't we all just do that? Let's just go to the nearest restaurant and start washing dishes. It doesn't work like that, right? What happens? There's one specific aspect in their life that was the turning point. That's the qadr of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Just acknowledge that that this is what it is, and then we become a believer. So the materialistic individual cannot do that. And he thinks that I'm here to live forever. My legacy is here to live forever. And this garden is never going to die, never going to perish. Meaning my resources will never finish. Now, every person actually 100% knows he's going to die, isn't it? There's not a single person you will find in the world who says, nah, I'm not going to die. What is so shocking is the love of dunya makes you so intoxicated like the drunk man. He cannot see. He does, in the middle of the night, he sees the sun. In the, in the middle of the day, he says, oh, I see the stars. If you, go to a re- if you unfortunately meet a really drunk person, that's what will happen. He cannot see the most obvious things. You know what? Something that's worse than the drunkard of alcohol and vodka is the one who's drunken with the love of dunya. Because the intoxication of alcohol will come to an end within 12 hours, more or less. But the one who's intoxicated with the love of dunya, his whole life he remains intoxicated. And there's no moment of being sober. There's no moment of becoming sober. The one who, who becomes intoxicated with other things, even drugs of any sort, there are times, there will be a time, of course, when he becomes sober, then he chooses again to intoxicate himself. Okay, that's another thing. But there will be a time, a week, two weeks, three weeks, hours, where he's sober. But the one who's intoxicated with the wealth of, with the love of the dunya, there is no moment of soberness for him. He's always intoxicated. And that intoxication does not allow him to recognize something so obvious that my dear brother, you will die and your empire will come to an end. Something as obvious as that, he doesn't understand that. Just like the one who's drunkard cannot see the sun or cannot see the stars. Similarly, the one who is intoxicated with the love of wealth, he simply cannot fathom that his job will end. His investments will, will go dry. He, his children will die. His house will dilapidate, will fall apart. And then he will die one day. Something as obvious as that, he misses that. And he makes such type of useless, false, boastful claims. I don't think this flourishing garden will ever perish. Now you might be wondering, how do you say stuff like that? What, everyone is saying that today. Because if they really thought that life will come to an end, they would not live the lifestyle that they are right now. They would be making some, some right decisions. SubhanAllah, by the time a person, at least by the time he's age of 60, he would say, Bhai, let me wrap up. Let me start making tawbah. But you see, SubhanAllah, people are starting new sins at the age of 60. New businesses at the age of 70. 
new type of pursuits at the age of 80. No stopping of any sort of lifestyle change that I have now become old, you know, and now I've got arthritis, now I've got blood pressure, now I've got diabetes, now I've got, you know, th this disease, that problem. Let me start changing your life. Why is that? Because the intoxication of dunya, hubba dunya is so strong, it doesn't make a person realize anything. The famous story of a, of a scholar in Baghdad who announced to his murids, his students of knowledge, and those who were coming to learn from him, he said, I've got some great news for you. So what is that? He said, today the announcement I want to make is Malakul Maut has died. Malakul Maut has died. So he says, Shaykh, what are you talking about? Are you okay? Like how can you say Malakul Maut uh, has died? What is that supposed to mean? Allahu Akbar. Uh, he says, well, did you not hear of this man who has just turned 80 years old? And he built a new huge palace. And today was his, you know, uh, tour. He opened, he opened uh, open house. Open house. Housewarming. 80 year old had a housewarming party for his palace. He must, the only reason he's doing that is because he has definitive knowledge that Malik al died. Why else would he do that? And it was a lesson he was teaching his students, obviously. That meaning when, when people who are this elderly start making decisions like this, you wonder what's going to happen to the world. Meaning, they're obviously not thinking that, that they're going to die. And so we live in that. We have all sorts of you know, longevity movement of trying to make your skin look more healthier every year, make yourself look younger every year. SubhanAllah, cover up the white hair, cover up the wrinkles, cover up this, cover up that. To make people just forget that they're getting old. And all sorts of different vitamins and all sorts of different things, which are okay, fine, I'm not saying don't take that. But what is, it, what is the a side effect of that is when a person looks in the mirror, instead of seeing, subhanAllah, a, an elderly face, he starts seeing a very rejuvenated face and he falls for it. You're supposed to deceive other people, you're deceiving yourself. You said, no man, subhanAllah, I'm getting young. Okay brother, let's get up. Now it's old enough. Now, why don't we just wake up for tahajjud now? Right now, enough of missing prayers and whatnot. Let's, now you're old, let's come on. He says, no, look at what old man, look at me. I'm so young, I can impress other people on, you know, on the social media too. Subhanallah. So this is the era we're living in, of where people are so infatuated with trying to remain young and remain attractive, that it stops the time, it's that, that the time when, when tawbah sets in, when the realization, if you're getting old, you're going to die soon and you got to make tawbah, that, that, that's just getting delayed and delayed and delayed. He tells his friend, I don't think the hour of doom will ever come. I don't think the hour of doom will other ever come. Right? And even if I ever come to my Lord, most surely I shall find far better than this as my destiny. What Shaykh Abul Hassan Ali al-Nadwi rahmatullahi alayhi mentions in his tafsir, Faith versus Materialism, that you, many of you have already purchased. If not, you should get it. In there, he mentions one beautiful point, which is powerful. He says, this man was not an atheist. He said he was not an agnostic. He was definitely not an atheist or not an agnostic. Because he speaks about Rabbi, Rabbi, my Lord, my Lord. Okay? He says, if, if I, he's, he's having doubts about the Day of Judgment, but he still believes in Allah. He still believes in Allah. And he said, that's what you're seeing over here that this is the form of shirk he was doing. The form of shirk, which is that he was making shirk of Allah with who? With himself. There you go. Making shirk of Allah with himself. That Allah hai or mehu. 
Allah is there, but I'm, a, I'm also there. Like if you tell anyone, but Allah will take care. No, but I got to take care of this man. Brother, go out for hajj. Your hajj is followed upon. No, 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 what's going on my business? But Allah will take a name. Allah to hey, but I got to do it too. See, that's what you're talking about right here. Why you keep on bringing yourself into everything? Anything, anything from job to, uh, you know, to health, always bring in yourself in that, no, but, but without me, how is this going to run? Without me, how is the house going to run? Without me, how is the business going to run? I know this is fard, but that is fard, but I got I to gotta be there. Without that, how is that going to happen? What have we done? We've done shirk of ourselves with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what this guy did. He was not an atheist, not agnostic. He believed in the existence of Allah. But he did shirk. That is what a materialistic mind does. What Shaykh Abul Hasan Nadwi says so beautifully, subhanAllah. He says the modern man today, he is doing all sorts of shirk. And, and this shirk of, of, he says one is, one is himself, par- partnering up Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with himself. And another one is, he speaks about the experts. He says the shirk of the experts. Okay, experts of any field. That a person, anytime he, he thinks that he will, if he hands his life over to the hands of the experts, he will be safe. Experts in medicine, experts in technology, experts in science, experts in security, experts in agriculture, experts in, you know, whatever, astronomy, you name it. That as long as the, at the what do the experts say? If the experts say this, then we're all set. As long as our life is, is going according to what the experts say, we're not going to fail and lose. No one says, but what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Forget the experts. We got to go for salah with jama'ah. We have to go to the masjid. We have to perform our hajj and umrah. Huh? What, is, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about this? No, let's, let's listen to, let's give our life over to the experts. I'm going to read this in Arabic. Beautiful, right? He says, وَثَنِيَّةُ هَذَا الْعَصْرِ The paganism of this era. وهذا هو الشرك الذي اتجهت إليه الحضارة العصرية المادية فقد اتخذت الأسباب الطبيعية والمادية والفنية وأصحاب الاختصاص He says this is the modern uh, you know, paganism This is the modern paganism What is that? Is that today material, materials or asbab or means Natural means uh, materialistic means, faniya, and various sciences, washab al fiha, and various experts in those sciences, they have become arbaban wa awliya min dunillah. They've become gods besides Allah. Look at the deep down trust. You know, I can go, I can go on for a list, it's a, you know, of examples. And then you should just record yourself how we speak. And then you listen to it from this viewpoint, and you'll realize how all of us or you know, many of us are committing this type of shirk, what he's speaking about. There's so much trust in, in humans, fellow humans like us, in their expertise. And when someone says, but Allah does, anybody, Allah does, please don't tell me that man, come on. The doctor said that. Allah will give you shifa. No, but the doctor said, no, there's no shifa. Who cares what the doctor said? Allah is, I'm saying Allah subhanahu wa give you shifa. Nah. This is, why can you not get yourself to say that? Why can't you get yourself to say that the engineer said this, the doctor said this, the lawyer said this, the tax guy said this, the police officer said this, that my inside in, in contact in the law enforcement said this. Who cares what they said? You, you turn to dua, you turn to sadaqah, you turn to dhikr, Allah will take care of your affairs, man. Ye maslahi today. So much trust on the experts. And that we are not, 
We are no one to put a gun to our head, but we're acting like we have a gun to our head. It's like the whole Edgar Allan Poe story, you know what I mean? Like this whole conscious of like, I'm just being killed. I'm being slaughtered. I've got the, you know, I've got the knife on my neck and that's it. I'm going to freeze and die when there's no one there. It's all his, it's a figment of his imagination. Well, we have this figment of our imagination which has overpowered us, which is that we have the, in our imagination, we think that the makhluk has control over us. When they don't. But guess what happened? Allah will treat you based on what you think. If you think the makhluk has got power over you, then that's what will happen. Allah will throw you and I to the, to the mercy of the makhluk. And if you tell yourself, no, makhluk will not have power over me. I don't care who says what. I will only go with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Like the story of, if I'm not mistaken, was it Abu Darda radiallahu anhu, who someone came and told him that your house is burnt. Your house got burnt down. And he said, no, my house didn't get burnt down. Next guy comes, your house got burnt down. No, my house didn't get burnt down. He said, in the masjid. But your house is burning, go, go. Three people come back, one after another. He says, no, my house is not burning. But what, what are you ta- we're telling you? He says, no. That whole neighborhood's on fire. It's not my house, not burning. There you go. That's a yaqeen. Eventually he goes back to his neighborhood. And of course his house is not burning, although all the other houses are burnt. Because he recited that dua before he left home. Right? Right? So you all should have that and should know it. So this is the dua he said, I recited in the morning before I left my home. I know for sure my house is not going to get destroyed and burnt. There you go. That's the yaqeen when you don't have shirk. You don't care who says what. You said, I did my afkar, I did my a'mal, I did my dua. I got more trust in any of that, in all of that, than any of you experts telling me anything else. But I, my eyes saw it. No, your eyes lied to you. Yeah. It can happen. Your eyes can lie to you, but my Lord can never lie. My Nabi can never lie. He says, you recite this, Allah will take care of this. This is my insurance. Where is that yaqeen going to come? Where is that yaqeen going to come on the du'as? That if we recite this, all our affairs are going to get taken care of. Right? Today, jisko deko parishan. Everyone is crying. Everyone is sore. Please, man, please, man I'm, I'm a big problem, man. I got this problem. But the solution lies here in the front row. Go to the corner and cry. This is the solution right here. To take over one spot in the masjid, come and pray your two rakat salah, give sadaqah and cry in front of Allah. And then tell me your problem doesn't get solved. My problem doesn't get solved. The biggest issue is that we are not resorting to the place where our solutions are waiting for us to be. This is where it is. The solutions lie in the house of Allah. The solutions lie in our musallah. The solutions lie with the dhikr of Allah. The solution lies with sadaqah. The solution lies with sunnah of Rasulullah wasallam. If we are trying to find solution for elsewhere, then guess what? You will waste your money, waste your time, and your worries will never go away. Your worry and concern will never go away. Whole life you're going to suffer. And at the end of the day, you wasted your time and money and didn't even get the solution. The solution is not expensive. You know, subhanAllah. Because there are medications out there that cost thousands of dollars. A wealthy person only can afford it. There are solutions out there. I need this contact. I need a political contact. I need a letter from a congressman. Everybody. I'm a simple guy. I don't have all that. Right? Guess what? Your solution lies with Allah, and for Allah, you don't need money, you don't need contacts, nothing. You go yourself, put, do a fresh wudu, put your musalla down and pray. And if you cannot do that, then just speak to Allah from your heart. You don't have to even lift your hands, you don't have to move your lips, you just have to have your heart talk to Allah. That's it. That's the beginning of the end of your problems. This part we can't do. We can speak for two hours about our problems. Daughters are calling their mothers. Huh? For one hour, my marriage is like this, my marriage is like that. 
Mother is gulling her daughter, oh, do this, do that. For two hours, they'll sit there and talk. But what is it? Well, wait, hold on. How about 10 minutes of salah? Mom, why don't you stop talking and you pray for your daughter? Daughter, you stop talking to your mom, why don't you start praying for 10 minutes? Right? How many husbands and wives just bickering, fighting with one another about various issues? How many of them fighting with their kids? Kids fighting with their parents? But leave all the fighting. If you got problems with people, do wudu and fresh wudu. Give some, uh, sit down and pray to salah, pray your two rakah and pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the solution to our problems. But the material mind thinks that, no, I cannot do that. Isme, isme, what, what, there's no solution in this. This is the deception of shaitan. Allahu Akbar. So this is what we have to learn from here. Is the modern type of paganism. Which is not putting your head down in front of the idols. It's putting our head down in front of various material means and ourselves. Can it, he said this. Who cares what that, that person said? I mean, I've got so many amazing stories to share of people who got their du'as accepted when all it seemed absolutely, there's no way they're going to get that happen. No way you're going to get it, that college exam and to pass. There's no way you're going to get into, uh, what you would call it, you know, uh, get, get the treatment in such and such a hospital. No way you're supposed to get married here. No way you're supposed to get this job, etc. Because they said, they, they gave you, they said an answer, absolute no. But remember the turner of the hearts Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَحُولُ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَقَلْبِهِ Ajeeb ayat. وَعَلَمُوا Know very well that Allah comes between you and your heart. What does that mean? You can, before you even wish something from your heart, you need to have the permission of Allah to wish that. So between you and your irada, between you and intention, between you and heart is Allah. So if someone says, I'm not going to give this to you. Zero, that's it, done. I'm not going to give you permission for this. I'm not going to give you permission for that. I'm not going to give you a visa for this. I'm not going to give you a passport. I'm not going to give you a job. I'm not going to give you my daughter. I'm not going to give you my son. Uh, people come all the time about, oh, I want to get married. I want to give. And she's saying no. He's saying no. But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says yes, no one can say no. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says yes, then no one can say no. You're knocking on the wrong door. Begging people who have no control over how many times they use a the restroom. They have no control over how many times they blink their eyes. Why, are you, why do you think that they have control over your job? Why do you think they have control over your marriage? Why do you think they have control over your sustenance? No, they don't. They don't have control over their own. How could they be in control of yours? This is what the Quran says. Know very well that Allah comes between you and your heart. So when you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, Ya Allah, remove these problems. Ya Allah, you, this person has this feeling about me. Now she has this feeling about me. He has this feeling about me, etc. Especially between spouses and things. All sorts of issues are going on today. My beloved brothers and sisters, turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the solution. Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the solution. He says, this is what is the shirk. He said, this is the type of shirk that today, unfortunately, people are committing. His friend said to him while he was conversing with him, are you seriously disbelieving the one who created you from dust? So he started giving him a bayan. He said, look at you. Where did you come from? Forget your garden. Let's talk about you. You came, You yourself came from the dust. Right? That's your haqiqah. You came from the dust, you're going to go back into the dust. And you're sitting here speaking like a Fir'aun over here, saying you own everything and nothing's going to, fer- nothing's going to perish. What type of di- you know, foolishness this is. Allah is the one who formed you into a man. You didn't do anything. Indeed, He is Allah, my Lord. I will never associate with my, Lord, with my Allah anyone. 
So take home message, let's not associate ourselves with Allah. Let's not associate means of this world. Let's not associate specialists of this world with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Ask, and make, ask Allah for assistance and help before we take the opinion of anyone else. That doesn't mean we don't take the assistance from people, no. But first and foremost, the most uh, powerful uh, law, giver of law for all of us is our Lord Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In light of what the Quran and Sharia and the Sunnah of the Prophet say, then we will make decisions. Then he says to him, you know what? Okay, another beautiful point. Who says it's haram to have a garden? It's not haram to have a garden. It's not haram to own many investments. Not haram to have a beautiful, comfortable home. Not haram to have a nice, comfortable car. No, that's not haram. But why? What is haram? What is absolutely disliked? What is absolutely reprehensible? Is that you attribute this to yourself. And to say that, no, this is my own. Hence, I don't need to bow down in front of Allah. That's the problem. Guess what? If you were to do that, even with a small little uh, hut, that would be haram. If you had a bicycle and a, a you know, 100 square foot hut you lived in, and a tin home, and if a person were to have this type of attitude, that still would be haram. So the issue is not about the amount of what we have and what we don't have. The issue is what? The attitude that we have. But usually in the world, it seems that the more material things we have, the more materialistic a person usually ends up becoming. So the more wealth that a person has, that's why they say that one of the greatest fitnas of this world is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you from all directions. When you start getting from everywhere, this actually becomes a very big fitna. You know, people usually say, Allah shukr, alhamdulillah, I'm getting a lot. What they don't understand is uh, when you're getting a lot, you're also getting a lot of tests from Allah. Very rarely do we think about that aspect. That with the increased wealth, and with the increased power, yes, is you're going up the managerial level and you're going now, you're a director and you're this and the VP and so forth. This seems to be very nice and very attractive. But understand that this can all be very intoxicating. It could be a very big imtihan from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if it gets to our head, it's very dangerous. Like let's think of a swimming pool. You're swimming in a, you know, in a bathtub. So I mean, it's not very fun. But the chance of you drowning in it is zero, Right? But as you, you increase this area in which you're swimming, and you increase from three feet a small children's pool, which is also nice, okay, but not as fun for an avid swimmer, and you increase it to four feet and five feet and six feet, uh, what happens? It's more fun, it's more enjoyable, more place to exercise, more place to do your tricks, but the chances of drowning are also increasing. A person says, I want to go ride the waves. I want to go right into the ocean. Oh, mashallah, that's definitely, you can compare that to any swimming pool. What it is to be in the Pacific or you know, the Indian Ocean or whatever else maybe. That's going to be amazing. But then with that, the odds are also very high that a person may end up actually drowning. Right? So there you go. More wealth, more power. Mashallah, that's great. But with that, there's also a very higher, ch- a bigger chance, a higher chance of becoming a slave to the material world. For us to forget Allah. To start attributing our success to ourselves, to our parents, to our education and so forth, in which we lose everything. And the less a person has, usually that humility and humbleness does not allow him to fall to that most of the time. Although sometimes, even with little people become quite arrogant. So when we, that's why when we ask for wealth, there's nothing wrong with asking for wealth, but ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for wealth that is mubarak, that is blessed. Don't ask, don't ask for pure wealth. Because pure wealth can actually become very harmful. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for increase in wealth only. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for increase in wealth with barakah, with afiyah. With, with, with barakah, with blessing, with afiyah, with well-being. Because excessive wealth, without the blessing of Allah, as you heard in the story of that person who asked Allah Rasulullah for dua. Do you remember that story? Of, of that person 
During the time of the Prophet who asked Rasul Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, he asked Rasul to make dua for barakah in his livestock. And Rasul said, No, I don't want to do this. And he kept on insisting and pushing him to do so. Yes. And then he when Rasul was forced to do so because of he the, this man kept on insisting, he said, Okay, fine. May Allah give you more. And that dua got accepted. It was a curse, but it was a curse. That dua got accepted for more wealth, but it was a curse. Because he used to live right next to the Masjid al Nabu. He used to come every single day multiple times. Now his livestock increased, and he had to now go find a bigger pasture land for his, for his livestock. His attendance to the Masjid dropped from being multiple times a day to once a day, to then slowly once every few days. And then the pasture land was not enough because his livestock went berserk. When the amount was just going out of control, more and more and more, and he had to move to a bigger area, the bigger area, meaning into the rural parts of Medina, and as he grew further from Masjid al-Nabawi, his attendance to the Masjid dropped to once a week and even less than that. Musibah? Yes, he has now hundreds of more sheep and goats than he had before. But what's the point where you have the Prophet alive in the Masjid al-Nabawi? Allahu Akbar. And yet this man is deprived of going to visit him one, not even multiple times a day, not even once a week. Azab. And now Rasulullah now goes to send a zakat collector. To go, go collect his zakat. When he shows up at his house to say, Hey, bye, give your zakat, you know, for all this. He says, For what zakat? What zakat for what? He said, Well, this is Allah gave. He said, No, man, what Allah gave me? This is all my own stuff. I got it down from my generations. Why well, I don't need to? I have a lot of other responsibilities, a lot of other bills to pay, like we say today. A lot of mortgage payments and bill payments and credit card payments. Where's got time for zakat, sadaqah, all that stuff? He shoot him off. He went back to Rasulullah and he said, This is what he said. He said, Done. That's it. We're done with this guy. You're not going to go to him. Alright, so now this person, Rasulullah passed away. Umar Abu Bakr came and became the Khalifa. This man realized, obviously he didn't make sincere tawbah. He wanted to just keep up his fame and name in the community that he's a very philanthropic, you know? You know what I'm trying to say? Wealthy people, they don't want to have a, they don't want to be known as snobs. They don't want to be known as, as, as arrogant people who don't give for good causes. Khalid Beg, uh, he wrote in his, you know, that first things first an article. He, write, he writes a whole background of fundraising dinners. An interesting article, Khalid Beg. He has many nice articles. So one of, the, one of the articles, he writes like background of fundraising dinners in this country. And he says this started during the um, uh, Great Depression in the 30s. And it was because the, the wealthier people were getting, as always, like right now too, right now in the pandemic, what has it done? It's made the, you know, the 1% made them even more wealthier, right? Much more. So they didn't like it. The fact that they're wealthy, but people are start having you know, ill feelings towards them. And they wanted to ensure that the average person who's suffering the Great Depression should not have ill thoughts about the wealthier class. So then they came up with the idea that we need to have these big dinners, big banquets, where we openly donate towards some cause. Like how all these corporations do it for tax benefits and whatnot and all sorts of stuff like that, right? Make you feel good about them. So this is what they did. They started off this whole idea of call everyone and in front of everyone, let's donate. So that people say, oh, Okay, you can have 10 million if you're donating $5,000. That's fine. Right? So people are suffering, don't have food. But they see the small amount of donations that these people give, which is big for these poor people, but it made them have a, a good positive feeling for them. So it, that just tells you that subhanAllah, if you don't have ikhlas, you know, then any, these, I'm not saying openly giving is, is, is always banned, but you have to be very careful about the intention. Otherwise, it can become very catastrophic, right? So uh, where were we? We're speak, um, uh, what was I speaking about before this? Huh? Ah, yes, Abu Bakr radiallahu the story. Yes, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said, he came to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said, I want to give my zakat. 
so I was saying that's probably the reason because he didn't make toba. Otherwise, his toba would have been accepted. He didn't make toba. He just wanted to keep up his good name. Abu Bakr said, "I can't accept it." Rasulullah didn't accept it. Uh, I'm not going to accept it. He tried to accept. He tried to, you know, give it to Abu Bakr. He said, "I'm not going to take it." Abu Bakr passed away. Umar came. Umar time he came multiple times. Please accept my zakat. He says, "Absolutely not." Rasulullah didn't accept it. Abu Bakr didn't accept it. Who am I to accept it? He passed away. Uthman came. In the time of Uthman al who he tried to present it, Uthman al said, when Rasulullah and Abu Bakr and Umar didn't accept it, who am I to accept it? He, didn't, he refused it. And then he died in that state. Now the Qur'an, a verse of him, a verse about him is revealed in Surah Tawbah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ عَاهَدَ اللَّهِ There are such individuals amongst them, عَاهَدَ اللَّهَ They make an oath with Allah. لَيْنْ آتَانَا مِنْ فَضْلِهِ If Allah were to give us from His grace, Meaning if Allah were to give us more wealth and more sustenance, لَنَا صَدَّقَنَّ Most definitely we're going to give charity. Most definitely we will give charity if Allah gives us. And most definitely we'll become righteous. The only reason you don't see me in the masjid anymore because I got to do three jobs, man. I got to take care of the house. Just wait. Just as soon as I get my house paid off, as soon as I get my you know, loans paid off, as soon as I get this paid off, mashallah, I'll be the first one in and the last guy out. Right? That's how it will be. Just, that's, just, give me, just give me a couple years. SubhanAllah, just give me a couple years to sort things out. And donations, SubhanAllah, you need, how is masjid and madrasa gonna run? You need money for this. That's exactly what I'm doing. That's why you don't see me here. That's what I'm doing because I gotta do long-term, long-term vision, man. I wanna make sure that you don't have to, all the next fundraising dinners for the next 10 decades are canceled. For that, I gotta make millions. Inshallah, I got it. It's gonna happen anytime. But for that, I can't show up for salah. I can't show up for dhikr. I can't show up for tafsir. I gotta, I gotta work, 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 work. Right? So this is this concept. Yeah, that he said, no, he made an oath with Allah. If you, and Subhan is a very scary ayah, very scary ayah. He made an oath with Allah. If Allah gives me more, I'm going to become, I'm going to become very generous, I'm going to give charity, and I'm going to become pious. Allah says, When Allah did give him from his grace, look at how much his wealth quadrupled or you know, increased by ten times. He became stingy with it. He became stingy with it. Now he says, ah, who's got time for this? I got this, I got that. He stopped. He didn't want to give money. He turned around. He gave his back. He gave his, he gave, he gave his back towards the deen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he punished him. How did he punish him? If he punished him with the loss of wealth, that would have been easy. He would have made tawbah. Yeah? If people who don't give charity, as soon as you say no to zakat, all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, you lose a million dollars in stock and, and the next day you have a car accident. Subhanallah, what would that? That would be nice actually, believe it or not. Because you'd realize, man, I'm making a mistake. I got to astaghfirullah. What did I just do right now? I slammed the door in that person's face who came to ask money for the sake of Allah. Look how my life has gone haywire. Let me make tawbah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't do like that. Because then otherwise there would be no test. Ah, there would be no test. Allah says he punished him by replacing his iman with hypocrisy. Because of the fact that he broke his promise with Allah and because of the fact that he lied, Allah says, I replaced his iman with the hypocrisy. What, what could be the worst punishment than this? SubhanAllah, may Allah protect us from falling down. That's what is a materialistic lifestyle. That a person just wants more, more, more. That's why I tell you, my dear students, my dear beloved brothers and my listeners, don't ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for billion dollars, million dollars. Don't ask that. No. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for halal risk with afiyah. There's a joke. Said one person, subhanAllah, you know, he was, he was uh, uh, sitting in jail and, uh, you know, and someone came to him and said, Bhai, what, you, what, you, what, what are you in here for? Bhai? Why are you suffering in jail? What's happening? He said, Bhai, maaf karna, I, I didn't hurt anyone, I didn't do anything. He said, well then why are you in jail? He said, Galat dua mangi He said, what? 
He said, yeah, I just made a wrong dua, man. It was a wrong use of words. He said, what happened? He said, bhai, you know, I was going through a difficult time. I said, ya Allah, ya Allah, mujhe bas do waqt ki roti dila de bas. Do waqt ki roti dila de. Uske aage piche kuch nahi mangta hu. He said, I was going through a difficult time. I said, ya Allah, just give me a two, two loaves of bread, you know, a day. Twice a day. Give me two free meals a day, ya Allah. That's all I want. So I'm getting two free meals a day here. That's what's happening. I didn't say afia. I didn't say, Ya Allah, give me two free meals with afia. Or two, two, two meals a day with afia, you see? So there you go. So sometimes, that's why just asking for more and more is not a smart idea. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instead with afia and barakah. So this man, he says, oh, this is my point. He's saying, why don't you enter this garden? That you, you're showing off this garden to me. You're showing off your property to me. Okay, alhamdulillah. But why don't you just attribute this towards Allah? There's nothing wrong with having this. The issue is, why do you attribute it to yourself? So he says, if only when you entered this garden, you would have said, MashaAllah, la quwwata illa billah. Whatever Allah has willed, there's no power except with Allah. Right? Then you, everything would have been fine. In tarani, do you not see that I have less wealth than you and less children? But inshallah, I'll be better off than you. Because, because I have iman, or I'm leading a life according to iman, and you're not. My beloved brothers and sisters, this is another point to highlight here. We, we did a few weeks ago. وَلَا تَقُولَنَّ لِشَيْءٍ إِنِّي فَاعِلٌ ذَلِكَ غَدًا إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهِ Do not say about anything that, you're gonna, that I'm going to do this tomorrow, except Allah, you make an exception and you say, inshallah, if Allah wills. So we talked about the benefits of inshallah, right? That making our life contingent upon what? The will of Allah. That's, the, our, that's our strength. That's our strength. Anything you want to dream, you can dream as high and large and big as you want, just say inshallah with it. Just say inshallah with it. So that is one beautiful, powerful wor- word. And then this is another beautiful, powerful word, which is, MashaAllah, la quwwata illa billah. Now these are not supposed to be just takya kalam. You know, you always say this uh, whenever you want, every single time you just say inshallah, mashallah, and that's it. No, instead, mashallah and inshallah are supposed to be very powerful statements that we are supposed to say regularly, yes, but think about what you're saying. So, mashallah is when you look at your own car. Yes, we should say when you do see car. When you look at someone else's car, when you look at someone else's car, you should say mashallah. But you should say it with your own. When you walk home back home today, when you drive back home today, when you sit in your warm car, mashallah, say mashallah. La quwwata illa billah. I have this because Allah willed it. I don't have it because I'm, I made it rich, because I'm smart, I beat the market, I beat this. No, I could beat nothing. I can't beat myself, I can't beat my, I can't beat my wife. <laughs> so where am I going to beat the market, right? MashaAllah, la quwwata illa billah. So this is the reality that a person, he humbles himself in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this should be daily what we say. MashaAllah, that whatever Allah wills is happening. La quwwata illa billah. No power for me to gain any wealth, no power for me to do any dini work. Except with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have seen this written in people's homes on plaques, right? They say, Nazar Tore. Yeah, it's true. That's very true. You see in the masjid also, in the seminary, we have this printed out there for us to remind ourselves that whenever we see something beautiful, say, MashaAllah, la quwwata illa billah. Because now what we're doing, we're protecting that from, inshaAllah, ain, protecting that from jealousy, protecting that from the evil effects of. Of, uh, of, of the of, uh, of Ayn and, and uh, Nadar. So that's something we should say for our own belongings and we should say this for other people's belongings. And you are basically an insurance over it. You are saying that uh, this is not, Yani Ya Allah, <laughs> don't allow this to be destroyed because this is yours. Huh? This is yours, it's not mine. This is yours, SubhanAllah.
I just remembered, I thought I remembered on our journey, subhanAllah, one, one of the ulama was, uh, was mentioning that, you know, some people have this relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a special relationship. So he said, one of the ulama in Lahore, he, he said, he was speaking about his own ustad, Umar Qari um, Bashir Sahab in, 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 in Haram. He was saying one of his ustads in Lahore, subhanAllah, he ran the madrasa there, I'm talking about 60, 70 years ago. And he said, well, dua mangte, he'd wake up in the morning, tajjud time, when the, when, the, when the rations of the madrasa would run out, when the food would run out, literally run out, they have nothing, where are you going to feed the kids from? And he would, he would make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with such fervor. Ya Allah, ye minne theka leka nahi bheta hai. Ye to aapka madrasa hai. Aapka deen hai. Agar aap nahi doge, to mein to chale jau. He would literally make dua like this. Ya Allah, I'm not responsible for this. What am I supposed to do? This is your deen, your madrasa, your kids, your Quran. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to get my... I have no money. I have no food. Where am I supposed to get it from? You must provide for them. If you don't, I'm leaving. <laughs> Right? He said, this is how he had this special connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wake up in the night and cry. And he said, literally, he said, subhanAllah, he made, he made, he got it accepted by Allah. That subhanAllah, he would make that dua. And he said, after Fajr, randomly people from the village would just show up with, with food. Some would bring rice, some bring meat, some bring dal, whatnot. They would just show up after Fajr. But then who woke them up? But they would come in with food and bring it to the madrasa. But that's how his method of making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was. So this is what mashallah Allah billah is. Ya Allah, this is not mine. I mean, really, if this was mine, you don't have to protect it, but it's yours. This car is yours. This business is yours. This home is yours. These children are yours. لا قوة إلا بالله. Whatever I have is, came from you. So I want you to protect it. The way uh, Abu, uh, Abdul Muttalib said regarding uh, the Kaaba. Ya Allah, what am I supposed to do? These are my camels. I'll take care of it. The Kaaba is yours. You have to protect it. Yeah? And Allah Azawajal sent the army of Ababil to destroy Abraha's army. Well, there you go. That's the attitude we should have for all our belongings. That Ya Allah, this is yours. I want you and I need you to protect it. فَعَسَى Rabbi, Yet perhaps my Lord will give me better than your garden. Even though I have much less wealth than you and less children than you. But I am hopeful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give me much better than what you have. And guess what's going to happen? Because of your arrogance and attitude, you know what's going to happen? It can, it can. I'm not saying I have a button here to press. But it can happen that a fire bolt from heaven will come and destroy this all. And you have this huge garden, guess what? It will be leveled to the ground and it will become slippery. Meaning, what does it mean slippery level plain? That when it becomes slippery, it's like a granite. Meaning, nothing will even grow anymore. Even if you put a seed, the water will wash it off. That's what it means. Sa'idan zalaqa. That it's, it's so messed up that the business has fallen apart and now you try 10 times to establish the business, it doesn't. You try to grow a garden, you can't even grow, grow a blade of grass there anymore. Because it's become slippery. Or, or perhaps the water from which all of this garden is coming, which is from well waters and springs, will go so deep into the ground that I will dig and dig and dig and will never get my hands on that water anymore again. So Allah well says, and so that's what happened. As he, as, as he thought it may happen, Allah subhanahu decided to punish him. And a firebolt did come. And it, began, it destroyed everything. And what happened to him? He sat there, يُقَلِّبُ كَفَّهِ Look at my hands. Right? He started wringing his hands. Oh man. Oh, how much money I spent on this. How much effort. My entire life went into this garden, this business, everything. خَاوِيَ خَاوِيَ means toppled. It's all toppled on the ground. Everything, everything fell over. And he says, I wish I had not committed shirk. What shirk did he do? Shirk with himself and the means. Got it? Remember that. He was not an idolater that sat there worshipping idols. It was he made shirk with himself and the means of this world. SubhanAllah. Now we realize why this surah is so effective in destroying the fitan of, of, of Dajjal. And why the surah will give us the nur by which we will be able to differentiate between right and wrong during these times of uncertainty. 
Allah Azza wa Jalla said he had no one to help him against Allah. He was he had no army to help him, nor could he assist himself. This 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 ayah right here is really. I remember the time when Sheikh Sulaiman Mullah taught us this this verse right here, and he says, "Hunalika al-wala'atulillahilhak." Then and there it became clear that all authority is for Allah alone. What does wala'ah mean? Authority. All authority belongs to Allah now or for all the time. All the time. But why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say hunalika then and there? Why? It's in the brackets. What does it say? Huh? It became clear. There you go. Allah always has complete power. But unfortunately, we don't get that. When incidents like this happen, then, ah, okay. I was never in control in the first place. I wish we had figured this out a long time ago. I wish we had figured it out before all these troubles had to happen. If we realized it a long time ago, we wouldn't have been in this mess. You see what I'm trying to say? Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts us through conditions after we lose everything, only then we realize that Allah is in power. Why, why wait till that happens? Why not acknowledge it from right now? All right, for example, another verse that comes to mind is the ayat from the 24th juice. لِمَنِ الْمُلْكُ whom, To whom does the kingdom belong to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks. لِلَّهِ الْوَاحِدِ الْقَهَارِ The kingdom belongs to only one powerful Allah. It belongs to Allah today too. But that will become apparent win-win when everyone will be put to rest, the trumpet will be blown, everyone will die, and then the question will be asked, who does the kingdom belong to now? Well, guess what? Now it's very obvious, you have to accept it, that it only belongs to Allah. But it always belonged to Allah from the first place, but the materialistic lifestyle doesn't allow us to acknowledge that. Right? So it's better if we recognize that right now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is much, much better than any of the people of this world in terms of giving us the reward and ensuring a blissful outcome as well. So this is a, a quick uh, you know, journey through this ruku, although there's so much more that these ulama have written on this. But alhamdulillah, whatever we can benefit is, is, is good. More than enough has been shared that can be of benefit to us in terms of um, trust, ascribing all of our successes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not allowing the means of this world or our own ana, our ego, to come between us and Allah. Not bowing down to any being besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not listening to anyone. So today, the world is changing, and you'll see forces of batil are becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Yes? And the Muslims are getting weaker everywhere. So now this is ayah, is very important, that we have to learn how to ensure, it's, not, it's easier said than done, but to bow our head in front of none other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no matter how strong the external force may be, no matter how strong the batil may be going, becoming, we cannot be swayed by batil, we cannot become scared by batil, we cannot be uh, affected by batil. Instead, our shirk, we don't make shirk with anyone. We say, I'm afraid of none besides Allah, and my loyalty is with none besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like I had promised, I'll share a few words. Alhamdulillah, we went for a week for to Makarrama and Madinah Munawwara Ziyara. MashaAllah, some of my brothers who were with me and Umar are sitting here as well. And we went with our seventh year Alam course students who are graduating, inshaAllah, in the next six months. Ten boys are graduating, inshaAllah, this year. We took them and some of the students from last year because of COVID who couldn't go. And the, the purpose of our journey was to spend some time in the blessed lands of Makkah al-Karam and Madinah al-Munawwara and head on afterwards to South Africa to go visit our teachers and our alma mater, Darul Ulum Zakaria, and to go visit other mashayikh over there. Like I routinely, routinely express the importance of going to visit scholars and to go visit institutions of knowledge and to go visit mashayikh, right? This is something very important for us and for our children to witness. So with that in mind, we had planned to a trip to South Africa and to Haramain. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed otherwise. Uh, the, the, the flights to South Africa got canceled due to the new variant and uh, uh, we were not able to, do, unfortunately, travel there. 
And we hope Allah SWT opens up ways for all of us again, uh, for the boys and, you know, to go travel and see and visit our teachers who are you know, obviously getting older by the day. But the blessing of, in disguise was that Alhamdulillah we were able to spend an extra uh, f- you know, five, ni- five days in, uh, or, or four days and five nights in Madinah Al-Munawwara, which I had never spent that many you know, days and nights there. Um, some, my main reflection, I think, from this journey is uh, the importance of visiting the blessed lands again and again. Now, there are some of you sitting here who have visited five times. There are some of you who visited, some of you who have never visited. Okay, those who do not have the financial means at all, alhamdulillah, this is your umrah. Coming here to the dars, this is your umrah for now. Okay, but those who have the financial means to go for holidays and vacations to Florida, to California, to Hawaii, to Bahamas, to Maldives, and yet we had, do not go for umrah, then this is a very sad state. Absolutely not. There are so many who go to India, Pakistan, Bangladesh on a regular basis. They, they literally fly over the Haramain, but have never had tawfiq to stop by once. Right? Think about that. So what, I, what, I, what my trip made me realize that during this, this day and age, yes, COVID is around and whatnot, but the importance of visiting the Haramain and Sharifain on a more regular basis. You see, let me tell you one thing. There's so many ajib shaitani deceptions. There's all sorts of israf. A person can live with a $20,000 car, but he says, no, I need to have a $90,000 car. A person can live with one, but he wants to have three. A person can live in a three-bedroom home, but he says, I want to have six. We're always living beyond our means, above our means, more than our means. But we never once think that, hey, maybe this is extravagant, I don't need to do that. But if someone, you find himself going for Umrah more than once in his life, all of a sudden you have people in the community saying, look at the extravagance over there. If someone goes for Hajj more than once, look at the extravagance there. Subhanallah. What type of you know, doubles, you know, double standards there is. That when people are spending in absolutely haram places, no one says anything. When a person spends $200,000 on a wedding, no one says, Astaghfirullah, let's boycott this, let's not go there. They say, no, we get, that's a wedding we cannot miss. So it's a wedding of the century. I gotta go check that out, how he wasted his money on that, right? People will go see that. They get excited about that. On the other hand, if a person wants to go for hajj every year, if he has the means to do that, you'll see people, unfortunately, saying, Bhai, kisi gharib ki shadi karadena. Huh? You heard that? I heard this so many times. Why don't you use that money to get a person who is poor, get their daughter married off? I agree, that's a great avalu. But why don't we, instead of spending 200,000 on the wedding, we can get 2,000 people married with that. No one will say that. Only when you spend money in the matters of deen, if a person wants to go for hajj and umrah or wants to donate for something, you'll see people all of a sudden say, why don't you give it somewhere else? Subhanallah. So this is deception of shaitan. I'm telling you, in my, what I understand is that, and what I've heard from my teachers, now is the time to go visit the Haramain and Sharifain as much as possible. As more as possible. For multiple reasons. For multiple reasons. Some which I can say, some which I can't say. But for one reason, I'll tell you is that the corrosive effect of materialism is just so much more than it was before. We are all being affected, I am, and all of us are being affected by the materialistic Dajjali era more than, more than we were before. So we need more detox as, more often than, than previous nations did. Previously, if people looked at these, people heard the story of a haji, they would make toba like we don't make toba after performing five hajj. Just by listening to the story of hujjaj, they would get so motivated and they would cry so loud, subhanAllah, the whole town could hear. And they'd be known as, you know, subhanAllah, someone who listened to the, who, someone who saw the haji. That was, is that happening now? Unfortunately not. And as one of the talks we heard, subhanAllah, in Madinah al by one of the esteemed scholars there, he said, why is Hajj and Umrah not bringing change the way it should? And he said, well, 
there was a time when you would see everyone who was to go say salam to the Prophet ﷺ, everyone who'd go stand in line and say salam to the Prophet ﷺ, every single one of them would have rivers of tears flowing down their cheeks. Every single person would be, you know, subhanAllah, shooken up and crying and trembling as they're walking up to say salam to the Prophet ﷺ. And now, in a hundred people, you'll not find one crying. And we are a witness to that. SubhanAllah, in a hundred people, you'll find 99 out of the hundred have their cameras pulled out, taking live video as they're going to say salam. And even while they're saying salam, one hand they're holding the shoes, one hand they're holding the phone, and one hand, you know, that's it. We got no third hand there. So that's what they're doing. They don't have, they don't have, they don't have any, they don't, can't even say salam. You know, not even, not even a hand over the chest, not even saying salatu salam alayhi Mine is just, oh, look at the architecture, whatnot. And this is something very obvious that that scholar pointed out too, the fact that the presence of cell phones is what has ruined the, 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 the sacredness of Umrah and Hajj. And now, you, you may have heard, you cannot even enter the Masjid al-Haram complex without a smartphone. Many of us would hear this uh, advice from the Hajj and, group, uh, Hajj and Umrah group leaders, especially in Darussalam. We always talk about this. Please, your biggest enemy is your smartphone. So make sure you, if you have to take it and leave it in the hotel room, don't take it into the Haram. Because otherwise you're in the Haram, you're going to be Netflixing and YouTubing and Facebooking and all that sort of stuff. But now the rules are such that you have to have an app. And you have must, must have a smartphone. Even if you're from the village of some village in Africa or in India, you must have a smartphone and you must have certain apps downloaded and you must have that present with you in order to even get into the complex. Not the masjid. Before the masjid, even to the complex, you need to pull that out. Any hotel, you need to have that. It's just, just weird how the world is moving forward, I'm saying. Right? We, we, you know, we never thought kindergartners need to have laptops, but look at what COVID has done. You got Zoom and you have to have you know, online classes for all the children. SubhanAllah, look at how the fitna works. You know, it's not like every single uh, school district is saying, I'm going to be an agent of Dajjal. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to say how the world is making ourselves, uh, you know, addicted to technology and cannot run away from technology and make us completely dependent upon technology, including that smartphone, in any direction we turn to. It seems like life without that will become like, un- uh, like uh, not possible to live to the extent that Haramein Sharifin. So that's just a side point. But the idea is that People would go once in a lifetime, it'd be a life-changing experience. But because of so much materialism, that on a one trip doesn't do the job. Instead, we need multiple trips. So my, my suggestion is that those who have the means to afford a $1,000 trip, $1,500 trip, then make this your priority. Instead of doing a family vacation to a hot spot in the world. Umrah and Makkah and Medina are very warm places, mashallah, even now it's 70 degrees. Right? Obviously, I'm not saying make that into a family vacation and do other things there. But what I mean, it's a spiritual vacation. Yes, definitely. What is vacation? A change of routine. That's a vacation. Where you don't have to cook food. That's a vacation. Alhamdulillah. So you can go and your family can spend some time away from your regular routine and it will be very beneficial. Uh, so this is my one point I felt like the, the need for going for Umrah and Hajj now is much more. Because we are living in a very turbulent time, very a time prone of fitna. And we need the spirituality that we get in the Haramein and Sharifain to keep us going. And they say, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is everywhere. You know, that Allah who listens to the dua in the Haram is here. Yeah, that, who you say that to? You say that the person who, who is on the street, doesn't have food, who doesn't have any means to go, you tell them that. That's true. But brother, if the means, if you have the means to go, don't say that. Because the dua in Makkah al-Mukarramah, the dua in Madinah al-Munawwara, the salah in there is, is obviously much more, not only more rewarding, but much more readily accepted. Those are Mubarak places where duas are accepted. And on top of being Mubarak places, what else? When you do so much dhikr and ibadah and dua, your actions are more worthy of being accepted. 
If you're doing, you know, 15 juz, 10 juz, 3 juz of Quran a day, you're reading all your salah from tahajjud to ishraq to awabin in the Masjid al-Nabawi or Masjid al-Haram, then guess what? When you raise your hands, you're going to be much more motivated and your du'as are going to be more readily accepted. So when we went there, the Masjid al-Nabawi was so empty, I've never in my life seen it like that. Right? Even for Salat al-Fajr, dhuhr, asr, maghrib, isha, just so empty. And obviously, I, we went now. Obviously, people who went like two months earlier, it was even more empty then. And what, what my thought was that subhanAllah, just because we are born in America, just because we have U.S. citizenship, we're blessed to be in this land. When there's people who are far more pious, far more God-fearing, far more loving of, Quran, of, Rasul, of Makkah and Medina than I am, from India, Pakistan, Indonesia, Malaysia, but subhanAllah, nope, nope. No matter who you are, no matter what scholar you are, you are not allowed to get a visa. That's how it was. So these massive Muslim-populated countries are not allowed to come to, to Saudi Arabia. Because of, you know, restrictions. But we, although we are very weak Muslims, from, uh, from very troubled backgrounds, but the doors are open for us. So how sad it would be if we miss out on that opportunity and not go as often as possible to take our kids with us. You know, our, not under 12. I think the restriction at the moment, by the way, the restrictions change like almost every few days. So you just got to keep on checking and speak to the travel agents to figure out what the latest restrictions are. But children 12 and above, and of course vaccinated, can, can attend, can go. That is one reflection. Another reflection I want to share is the aspect of that the world is as, as much as fitna and corruption is all over the world. All over. Horrible things that you can speak about and read about. But when you enter those two blessed masjids, it literally you feel like you leave the whole world behind you. Right? And all of us are suffering through stress. I mean, what are they saying? Today, I think it was announced uh, by, that in the pandemic, mental health... Uh, took a huge uh, hit in terms of throughout the whole country. Then the pandemic, the number of mental health, we knew this, but now it's coming from the official government statistics. The mental health crisis is, 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 is huge in this country. There's so much stress. So one of the best ways to remove your stress is through dhikr of Allah, through environment of the masjid. Going sitting and looking at the green dome, I don't know what better stress reliever is there than that. Going sitting in the mataf and spending an hour just focusing on the Kaaba, imagining the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descending on there and splashing on your heart. What could be a better de-stressor than that? So if you're having problems in, in your home, with your spouse, with your children, with your business, whatever the case may be, the solution lies in the house of Allah and the best house of Allah is, the, is those two houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you need a de-stressor, right, that is again the place for a spiritual vacation, mental vacation. You go in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we, when we visited these two places, we didn't just visit Makkah and Medina. Along with that, we had a chance to go visit Badr, alhamdulillah. And the story of Badr, most people do not visit Badr. It's on the way, you can, on the way to Makkah to Medina, Medina to Makkah, you can stop by at your Badr. Alhamdulillah, I mean, we, we, we did it with our group. The whole group where I was able to embark, pray in Masjid Al-Arish, pray with Rasul Sallam, raise his hand and make dua the entire night. Right? Uh, for hours and until Abu Bakr said, please, please rest. Allah has accepted your dua. That's the place where, we got it, where the big masjid is built. And across that is the graveyard where all the sahaba are buried. You can actually, the wall has been removed now. They're doing construction. So you can actually walk right into the graveyard. It was an amazing sight. And where the, where the uh, kuffar of, Makkah, of Abu Jahal and the likes were buried or killed and buried on Badr, they built bathrooms there. <laughs> right? In that same area. Right? And the way to Badr, then there's um, Bir Ruha, where we stopped at, alhamdulillah. And where this is a well which 70 prophets stopped to drink water from there. This is on the way from Sham to Madinatul Munawwara. And this is the same well which Isa will also drink from. Hence, till today, although so many landmarks and historical places have been destroyed, mashallah, this is completely untouched and undestroyed. 
And it has a very, very, very distinct different flavor. The water is very, very distinct. You don't have to second guess. It's very obvious that it's a different type of water. Uh, that we were able to, the whole group were able to stop there, do, we'll do, drink from there. And there are some, uh, some brothers in Medina, mashallah, whose entire daily, all day, all, every week, they go fill up from there, and that's all they drink at home. Because this is, Rasul drank from here, right? And most of the times that Rasul would drink from, from a well, he would spit back in it. Right, for the sake of barakah, subhanAllah. So that was one was a very interesting place that we were able to uh, stop by as well. In, in Makkah al-Mukarramah, we were able to go do the ziyarat and go visit Hudaybiyah. And the whole story that we spoke about in Surah Al-Fatih, when the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatih came back to life there, watching that place where uh, that, uh, the, 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 the uh, Pledge of Allegiance was made and the, in the background of that. Uh, you know, in Makkah and Medina, you need to go with scholars and ulama. This is an oral tradition, an oral tradition that's been passed down. Because right now, unfortunately, there's a lot of changes happening. A lot of landmarks, majority of landmarks have been destroyed. So you have to have someone who has learned it from someone and knows exactly before this Hilton came up, what was there? Before this, uh, the, you know, chicken place came up, what was there? Like, that's what it comes down to. So a lot of the historical narration stories that you have been hearing all your life, to be able to go witness those places, be it, be it Uhud, be it uh, the journey out towards Uhud, where all the various incidents happened, all of that was very nice to see. Another amazing uh, place we stopped by was Masjid Al-Fatih, which is a part of the Sabah uh, Masajid, which is the place where the Battle of Trench took place, which we also, alhamdulillah, covered in Tafsir of Surah Al-Ahzab. Now in that difficult, very difficult battle, Rasulullah made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He started making dua, if I'm not mistaken, on Sunday, Ya Allah, to destroy, destroy the various factions that are gathered against the Muslims. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday after Salat al-Dhuhr is when the dua got accepted. And the wind was sent down and the army's tents were completely uprooted. And they were all sent flying back to Makkah. Right? So, Jabir radiallahu anhu. Remember the story of Jabir during the Battle of Ahzab? You heard this before as well and in the tafsir that he was the one who hosted, who hosted 14, uh, what, approximately 1,400-1,500 sahaba at his house. Yeah? He told Rasulullah I have some food. You can come over. And Rasulullah told the whole army, let's go over for lunch at Jabir's. Yeah, he came running home. He said, oh my wife, what am I supposed to do? We only, I only have food. You said you could bring four or five people. Right? And what happens? I was gonna, uh, and, and what did she say? She, Subhanallah. Try, let's not try this at home today. Say, I invited the Masjid Dar for dinner over at my home. Huh? And they're all coming. <laughs> let's see what's going to happen. You're going to have to probably go stay in Ramada or somewhere tonight. So he says, SubhanAllah, he, says, he told, he told her, her that they're all coming. What did she say? Did you tell him how much food we have? He said, yes, I did. He said, then don't worry about it. That's his problem. Khalas. If he knew how much food we had, yet he called them all, then why are you worried about it? He knows what he's doing. So they all came. And subhanAllah, he said, don't, don't remove the cover and the cap of, this, of the gravy. And he kept on serving, kept on making the roti, doing it. SubhanAllah, all 1400 sahaba ate and left and there was plenty for them to sit and eat. So he says, Jabir al-Lanu says, that we learned from the practice that Rasulullah dua got accepted on Wednesday after Salat al-Dhuhr. We make a habit that every Wednesday, anytime we have a problem, we go to Masjid al-Fatih, which is a small masjid on that small mountain. You can climb it up. It's a very short climb. And we make dua after Salat al-Dhuhr on Wednesdays and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts our dua. So I want to share with you a story. Our group leader, our rather, sorry, our tour, tour guide at Medina, who usually takes our groups every time, his mother passed away and his father passed away both out of COVID, right? And uh, his father is my Ustad's elder brother. We made dua for him, a maghfir over here. I remember when he passed away, Sheikh Zaki, one of the leading shuyukh of Medina al-Manawar. He passed away, both of them passed away in COVID. So when his mom passed away, they had a rule there in Medina al-Manawar for the past seven months. Seven months that no COVID body was allowed to be buried in Jannatul Baqir. 
and no COVID body was allowed to be brought in Masjid al-Nabawi and Janazah Salah were not, not performed on COVID bodies in the Masjid al-Nabawi. Performed somewhere else in faraway place and buried somewhere else, but not in Jannatul Baqiyah. So obviously his parents have been living there for 50 years with the whole you know, big hope that we're going to die here one day and get buried here. So when his mother passed away, they tried, they went to all the various ministries and said, please, please make an exception, please make an exception, please change the rule, consider changing the rule. No one listened. They said, nope, the rule is the rule of seven months, we haven't made this, no changes. Subhanallah. So then, uh, uh, what happened? He said, we all siblings went to Majlul Fatah and on Wednesday made dua. The next day, subhanallah, the declaration came, no problem. So she was the first person, first person whose body was be allowed to be brought in Masjid al-Nabawi and the janazah was performed in Masjid al-Nabawi and the first COVID body to be buried in Jannat al-Baqiyah. Subhanallah. Right? So we got a chance, alhamdulillah, twice to go there and make dua at that Mubarak place. So remember, next time you go to Madinah Munawwara, try to ensure that you have a Wednesday available, a Wednesday after Dhuhr, and go visit Masjid al-Fatih. So there, you know, it's quite, quite late. I'm sorry, I've taken a lot of time. There's many, many more reflections to share. But uh, uh, I want to tell you that, alhamdulillah, we made lots of dua on behalf of the entire Darussalam community. A lot, a majority of my time was spent making dua for all of you, and for this community, and for the volunteers, for the musallis, for the attendees of all our programs, for the students, for the patrons, for the donors, for the well-wishers. Alhamdulillah, lots and lots of dua, and lots of salam to the Prophet on behalf of all of you. Uh, and so I request and I encourage every one of you to make niyyah inshallah, to try your best to save up money and to make niyyah of going visiting. Not once, not twice, but as many times as you can. Uh, as some of the hadith mentioned, the one who doesn't perform hajj and umrah every five years, فَقَدْ جَفَانِي he, he has been disloyal to me. He has been disloyal to who? To, to Rasulullah Right? So that's why we should try our best to visit every year if possible, if we have the means, if not every other year, whatever the case may be. December holidays are coming. Now, I know one of you, some of you may say, bye, with COVID. Like, COVID is not going away. We said that a long time ago. It's not going to go away every single year. I'm not saying it's some scheme. I'm not saying it's some conspiracy. It's just the world we have to get accustomed to living in. We have to get accustomed to living in this world. So new, new booster shots will come, new variants will come, new this and that. You say, Bismillah and go. Right? Do your salat al-istikhara, salat al-hajjah, and then inshallah, ta'ala, go travel. People are traveling. Business hasn't stopped. Vacations haven't stopped. Weddings haven't stopped. Nothing has stopped. Why should as soon as the name of visiting the house of Allah, Makkah, Medina, all of a sudden thoughts come? Of course, if the government stops it, that's a different thing. But as long as there are flights that are open, uh, then I would definitely... Okay, and we don't know. The, the country may close down again. Then what? Then you're going to say, oh, I wish I went. Then how many of you are wishing that? When the, things went, clo went closer, like, oh, we went for Umrah, we wish for Hajj. So while there is an opportunity... I encourage you to please go yourself and encourage as many people as well to visit and if possible even Masjid Al-Aqsa. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our journey and your journeys in the future and your past journeys. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all the du'as that were made in this past uh, Umrah for all of us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, make those du'as that were made on behalf of all of you. May He accept those. And that was made on behalf of this community. May He accept those. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our sitting here, listening here. May He allow myself and all of you to practice on whatever was shared. May He allow us to propagate it to others as well. Like a, a very kind reminder, inshallah, that December 25th to December 28th will be our annual winter intensive. Please, please do not forget to... Um, to join us for that 25th and to 28th, 25th to 28th, inshallah ta'ala, there will be the, the uh, winter intensive and there's an Umrah group also leaving the night of the 28th. 
So after the winter intensive, you can also join if you want to go with the group uh, right after the winter intensive finishes. And inshallah, from your, you invite, I invite people from across the country who are listening to please encourage family and friends from across the country to book their tickets and make arrangements. The schedule is finalized. Alhamdulillah, we'll be putting on our website if we haven't already done so, uh, you know, for the children's program, for the main program as well. Also on the way out, enjoy your, the tea and, and the cookies and make dua for our students and our volunteers who are, who are making khidmah for all of us. A couple of minutes of dhikr and dua, inshallah. لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله على محمد 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 صلى الله عليه وسلم استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم انت السلام انك السلام وتبارك يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك انت كما اثنيت على نفسك اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا الى انفسنا طرف العين اللهم يا حنان يا منان يا بديع السماوات والارض يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم انك عفو تحب العفو فاعف عنا اللهم انك عفو كريم تحب العفو فاعف عنا اللهم مغفرتك اوسع من ذنوبنا ورحمتك ارجع عندنا من عملنا اللهم اشفنا واشف مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين وارحم موتانا وموتى المسلمين وانصر المستضعفين من المسلمين في كل مكان اللهم اصلحنا واصلح شبابنا واصلح نسائنا وردنا الإسلام ردا جميلا اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والنية والهدى إنك على كل شيء قدير سبحان ربك رب العزة ما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين آمين